0: If you have your Bibles, please open them, because all of the verses we're going to cover is not in the bulletin. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first verse of our text, verse 14, and the last verse, verse 41. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted his voice and addressed them, saying, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem... Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Then the very last verse, verse 41. So after they had given ear to his words, it says, So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. Father, as we address your word, I pray you give us humility each one of us. God, your word is very clear that this is the person that you that you regard, that you pay attention to. It is the one who is humble and contrite and trembles at your word. And I pray you give us a heart that is that that is under your word and not seeks to sit in judgment on your word. So grant us that today. I pray your spirit would come in great power. God, of course, our great desire is that that this sermon that pre- Peter preached 2,000 years ago would have a present day, lasting, powerful impact upon our lives by the power of your Spirit. And so I pray that your Spirit would come powerfully in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the first sermon that was preached by the church, right? This is the first church age sermon. And I would say it, the church age started with a bang. This sermon that launched the church, there were 3,000 people that responded to Peter's sermon and were saved. And this is a, a sort of prototype of how witnessing or of how testifying to Jesus or how speaking about Jesus is to be done. But I found it interesting this week We often focus in these verses or in Acts chapter 2 as though there was this strange phenomena of tongues and then there was this sermon and we don't really connect them. But I had this, felt like it was insight this week from the Lord. Peter's not the only one speaking about Christ here. He's not the only one bearing witness of Jesus. Remember back in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, You're going to receive power so that you can speak about me, so that you can tell others about me. You can bear witness or be a witness about who I am. So when the Spirit came upon this hundred and twenty, this group of 120 in the upper room, they were given tongues, right? Their, Their tongues were, here's the way I'd put it, their tongues were set on fire, and they began to testify about Jesus. What does it say? They declared the mighty works of God. And it was a strange, amazing gift that they were given where everyone who was listening, this large crowd that spoke many different languages or dialects, all could understand them. It was this gift of tongues, speech, you might say, and also a gift of hearing, right? Because they were all speaking in this unknown language and everyone was hearing them in their own language. But they were declaring the mighty works of God. And if I could just say this, when the Spirit comes upon us, when, the, when we are full of the Spirit, our tongues will be set on fire and we will declare God's mighty works. We will want to declare to other people what He has done for us. Looks like a fun toy down there. Can I have, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> We will want to declare what he has done for us. Now, we don't know what this larger group, the 120, said. We don't know what they were saying, other than generally they were declaring God's mighty works. But we do see what Peter said. We see very clearly, it's written for us. We have 28 verses of what Peter said. So this morning, I want to look at Peter's sermon and draw out what kind of speaking or witnessing for Jesus the spirit both empowers and uses for his glory. Okay, so th- this is this is for all of us. All right, Peter is preaching before thousands. Probably none of us will ever. But this is for us because we all have opportunity to speak for and about Jesus to our neighbors, to our friends, to people that we love and care about in our family. And so this is for us as well. So what kind of speech about Jesus does the Spirit use and empower or or empower and use, right? Because Peter was filled with the Spirit and then he spoke. It didn't go the other way. He was filled with the Spirit and then he spoke. So what kind of speech about Jesus does the spirit empower and use effectively. Well, there's I got five things I want to draw out of Peter's message. Okay? And this is for all of us, right? We all, if we want to be spirit-filled Christians, we are to bear witness of Christ in some way to some people that we know. So, let's jump in, all right? The first thing we see is that speech about Jesus that the Spirit empowers and uses is biblical. It's biblical. It's amazing. Peter's message quotes a lot of Scripture, right? This is Scripture, but he's quoting Old Testament Scripture. Even with the outpouring of the Spirit, Peter does not jettison the Bible. Rather, he shows an enormous commitment to the veracity and power and inspiration of the scriptures. Now, of course, Peter didn't have the New Testament, right? Because that wasn't written yet. But he had the Old Testament. And it's possible and even probable that in the time between when Jesus ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit was poured out, that these believers, as they were gathered together, says they were of one mind. They were searching the scriptures, the Old Testament Bible. And they were looking for the passages that had specific, explicit mention of the person and work of Jesus. More than likely. It doesn't say that in the Bible. But Jesus certainly had a Bible study with his disciples, showing them from the Old Testament all the things concerning him. It's very likely when he left, they said, Hey, let's open our Bibles and check this out. And so Peter, his message is full of the Bible we see three Old Testament passages that help to give shape to Peter's sermon. The first passage is in Joel chapter 2. That's the one that we're, most of us are very familiar with. Peter uses this passage to explain the phenomena of what's happening. If you remember from last week's message, these followers of Jesus were together, and it says in verses 2 to 4, something amazing happened. It says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a, like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And apparently, this phenomenon, this event was so loud if you will. It spilled out into the streets because a large crowd gathered, right? And this crowd, many of the people were in awe because they were hearing these people in different languages. They spoke different languages. They were all hearing in their own language these people declaring the mighty works of God, but others said, these people must be drunk, and what does Peter say? He says, Peter gets up and he says, no, they're not drunk. I find it interesting, side note. Peter says, they're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning. Come back later and they might be. I'm joking, he didn't, doesn't say that. But I found that kind of funny this week. He says, they're not drunk. This is in fulfillment of what God said hundreds of years ago through the prophet Joel. This is what God said. And then he quotes Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Or actually, 20, 28 and, and further. I think through uh, verse 31. And here's what it says. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. They're not drunk, the spirit has been poured out, as God said through the prophet Joel. Now it's clear that in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit worked, right? I mean, if you read through the Old Testament, you see different times where the Holy Spirit is explicitly mentioned. But what seems to be very different, this is something new, and what seems to be new is whereas in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon an individual at certain times, or maybe a small group of people for a special task, that, that this prophecy was a, of a day when the Spirit would be poured out generously on all of God's people on every single one of them. It says the 120 gathered in the upper room. How many does it say were filled with the Spirit? They were all filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues and were declaring the mighty works of God. This is something brand new. You might say, from what Joel says, that this was the dawning of a new age, of the age of the Spirit. Right? He, said, he calls it the last days. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. Now, don't let those words confuse you. Uh, I don't think that uh, Joel or Peter, when he quotes Joel, is trying to hype up some end times fervor among the people. I think he's referring to these the days between the resurrection of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Or we might say the ascension of Christ and the second coming of Christ. These last days, the days of... The Spirit and it says all of the people in the upper room were filled by the spirit. so Peter says and he quotes this passage in Joel and says, This is that. This is what Joel talked about in the Old Testament, and it's so widespread this outpouring of the spirit it will come upon all of God's people irrespective of their age, of their gender or sex. Of their socioeconomic situation. It's going to come upon the young and old, male and female, rich and poor. So, led by the Spirit, Peter refers to this text because it's probably the most clear and obvious Old Testament prophecy concerning the outpouring of the Spirit. The second Old Testament passage that Peter quotes, remember his message, his declaring about, about Jesus is rooted in Scripture. The second passage he quotes is out of Psalm 16, and it's in reference to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What he does is he surveys the ministry of Christ, which they had seen and known and been exposed to. He references the death of Jesus and the incredible claim of his resurrection. And Psalm 16 must have been a a very important passage for the early church because in Acts 13, Paul references the same passage. And here's, it's it's in verses um, 25 to 28. Here's what Peter says. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, I say to you with confidence about David, he is, he's both died and his body's still buried in the ground. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God was, had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. So he says this Jesus has risen from the dead. Look at Psalm 16. David spoke of this. Now, as a, these were Jewish listeners hearing Peter preach here. And when they heard the scriptures quoted, they had a firm commitment to the inspiration of the scriptures. They didn't call into question whether or not these were God's words, like so often today happens. They heard these words. And they received them. The third Old Testament text Peter quotes in this message is from Psalm 110. Psalm 110 verse 1 is actually the the most often quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews, I think, quotes it three times. And when Peter's preaching to the people and he says, This Jesus that was crucified, that you crucified, he's alive. What do you think the people in their minds might be, might be thinking? Where is he? Why aren't we seeing from him? Or why aren't we seeing him? Why aren't we hearing from Jesus? And Peter explains. You're seeing and hearing the Spirit. Because Jesus has ascended and poured out the Spirit. Verses 33 to 35. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not, David again spoke, he he wrote Psalm 110, he says, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Peter grounds his message, not just in the experience of the Spirit, but in the Scriptures. And God used it mightily. And if we would have our testifying of Jesus be used to some effect for God's glory, may it also be grounded and rooted in God's revelation given to us in the Bible. So Peter's message was biblical, but it was also clear. It was also very clear. You might say reasonable. Some people were saying, these idiots are drunk. But when Peter gets up and begins to speak, it's very clear that Peter's not drunk. He's not acting like a drunk person. He's not talking like a drunk person. He's talking very clearly with crystal clarity, with unambiguous words. Peter makes arguments in this message that he wants the people to follow, right? He's going somewhere with it. Of course, it's inspired by the Spirit, but the Spirit-inspired sermon of Peter's is very, very clear. He has no interest in obscuring the truth, none whatsoever, he has no interest in, I've heard people put it, say this before, and there's a way in which we, we need God's help, but you, that somehow we need to shut off our minds so that God can get to our hearts. That wasn't Peter's thought. He was speaking to their minds. We need our minds to be enlightened, right? The Bible says for unconverted people, it's, their minds are darkened. The God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers, And so when we are saved, our minds are enlightened. God wants to inform our minds so that our hearts may be changed. Peter is not just trying to tug on their emotions. He appeals to their mind. Notice how Peter starts his talk in verse 14. He says this, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to this, and give Ear to my words. I'm going to speak words now. And I want your ears to be opened. To listen to them. It's fascinating. I mean, this amazing phenomena behind him was going on. And he didn't just say, look at this. Isn't this amazing? Don't you want this? Jump in. He says, listen to my words. Give ear to what I have to say. Again, in verse 22, he says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Hear these words of mine. He wants them to listen. He wants them to pay attention. He wants them to think. And then he says this, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Man, I mean, he said, you know this Jesus? Right? They were in Jerusalem. Jesus had just been crucified there not long ago. You know this Jesus? You've heard his teaching. You were part of the crowds. You saw his miracles that God did through him. You know who I'm talking about. He says this, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He's appealing to their understanding. You remember, don't you? You were part of the crowds that called for him to be crucified. Again, later in Peter's address, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Toward the end of Peter's message, he says, I'm speaking these things because I want you to know for certain. He's appealing with clarity to their thinking. Peter was concerned with saying what was true with clarity so that it could be understood. And we need, this in our, we need to hear this in our day. I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm a person of our day, so I don't know firsthand other days or other times and generations, I suppose. But in our day, we, we're not as much concerned about... We're, it seems like we're more concerned with, does it make me feel good? then is it true? And Peter wanted to speak with clarity the truth about who Christ was. It is a clear speaking of Peter that the people understood and responded to, and it will be us speaking clearly about the truth of the gospel that the Holy Spirit will also empower and bless But Peter's message was not only biblical and clear, it was also Christ-centered. And this is probably obvious, but it just has to be said. The bullseye of Peter's message, the blazing center, the main attraction, the main (laughs) character, uh, was unsurprisingly Jesus Christ. He uses the miraculous and unusual phenomena of what was happening to focus not on the miraculous and unusual phenomena of what was happening, but to draw their attention to Jesus. He wanted to draw their attention to Christ. Christ was the main point of the message. Not the gift of tongues. although it was amazing. Phenomenal. Miraculous. And he does say, if you believe in this Jesus, you can receive this gift of the Spirit as well. This, the, what you're seeing and hearing, you can receive it. But the main point of the message was Christ. The main point of the message wasn't their felt needs. It was Jesus. It was Christ. Verse 22, he speaks of the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus was attested to or or exposed to view to you by God with works and miracles. He testified of the death of Jesus in verse 23 and 36. He speaks of the burial of Jesus in verse 27. He speaks of the resurrection of Jesus. Again, in verses 29, well, about 24 to 32, he gives a lot of time to the resurrection of Jesus. He speaks of the ascension of Jesus, who has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. He even says, what you're seeing and hearing right now (coughs) is evidence that Jesus is not sitting on a throne just chilling and relaxing. He is still at work. He received this gift of the Holy Spirit from the Father, and Jesus has poured out this Spirit. What you're seeing and hearing right now. In other words, Peter says, what you're seeing and hearing, this is the result of the exaltation and enthronement of our King, Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 6, Paul tells us the content of the gospel which takes priority. And it sounds a lot like Peter, actually. Here's what Paul says. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then the 12, and then he appeared to 500 at one time. Most of these people are still alive. Some of them have died. When one is filled with the spirit, they will bear witness of or testify to Jesus. Jesus Christ. He will be what they want to talk about. He will be the person they want to talk about. Remember what I said earlier about when the Spirit came upon all these people, Well, all of them, not just Peter, all of them were declaring the mighty works of God. And when we're full of the Spirit, we too will declare the mighty works of God. We will declare what this mighty God, Jesus Christ, has done for us and want to bring other people into it. Peter's message was Christ centered. But Peter's message was also courageous. You might say bold, fearless. Remember Peter only 50 days before this? Do you guys remember Peter the night Jesus was betrayed? It was 50 days before this, about. Jesus was arre- they, Jesus was with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, and <coughs> Judas brought a, a group to arrest Jesus and Jesus was arrested and taken off and where he 's going to stand before Caiaphas and the high priest and the sanhedrin and it says Peter followed at a distance. this is in mark chapter fourteen Peter followed at a di- at a distance, and when Jesus was brought in before the council, Peter was standing outside by a fire, kind of warming himself with some other people. And there was a a slave girl, a servant girl, probably a young girl, 14, 15 years old. She was a servant of the high priest. And she looked at Peter and says, you look familiar. I think you're with this guy. I think you're with this Jesus. And what does Peter do? I don't know what you're talking about. Somebody a little bit later says, you're with this guy, aren't you? You're from Galilee. And Peter says, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. And again, the servant girl later says, you certainly were with him. And Peter says, I was not with him. I don't even know who he is and begins invoking a curse on himself. Peter was the epitome of. Well, and before that Peter boasted, I, Jesus, I would go, I would go to the ends of the earth for you, I would go to the grave for you. And in that scene, Peter is the epitome of cowardice. And here, fifty days later, Peter is standing before a crowd of thousands, openly proclaiming Christ in the city in which Jesus was crucified. Probably in the shadow of the temple, probably very close to the temple, maybe underneath the noses of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. He was preaching to the very people who 50 days earlier were calling for Jesus to be crucified. His preaching was confrontational. He wasn't try, I don't think he was just trying to be mean, but his, his preaching was confrontational. He confronts their complicity in crucifying the Lord Jesus. In verse 23, what does he say? This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And then he, I, I envision Jesus or Peter looking out at them and saying, you crucified. You crucified him. And then in verse 36, again, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He minces no words. Toward the end of his sermon, it simply says, with many more words, he bore witness. The New American Standard Bible says he solemnly testified. So he's speaking with great gravity and sincerity and seriousness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked, crooked generation. The Greek word for crooked is scolios. That's where we get our word for the back condition of scoliosis. Crooked, twisted. What Peter meant here was save yourselves from this wicked and perverse and evil generation. Wow. No more timid Peter. Why? Because the Spirit had come. The Spirit of God had come. I don't know about you, but it's easier for me to preach in front of a a group of people, even, even a group of people who don't believe in Jesus and maybe don't want to believe in Jesus. It's easier for me to do that than to talk one-on-one with, with, with somebody about Jesus. It just is. But I want the Spirit to make me bold like this. Not to be mean. I don't want to be mean. I want to be really nice. But I want to be bold and courageous and speak about Christ to people. At Peter's preaching, it says this, They were cut to the heart. They didn't walk away saying, boy, that was kind of a nice sermon. What's for lunch? They were cut to the heart. They were pierced, which literally means to be agitated vehemently or violently agitated. They were deeply and emotionally sorrowful because their sin was being exposed Peter's aim was not to offend or to be mean, but he was not overly concerned about their self-esteem. His his primary aim was not not for his hearers to feel better about themselves. His preaching was bold and courageous. And this is one of the hallmarks of witnessing, uh, witnessing of Jesus in the book of Acts. In fact, I I love the story in Acts four. We're going to be there in maybe a month or so. In Acts chapter four, I love the story of Peter and John. They're, They're before the religious leaders. They are warned, "You do not speak about Christ anymore, or else." And they're sent away. And Peter and John go to their go to their friends. Go back to where their friends are gathered, and they start praying. And they don't even pray for protection. They don't even pray for protection. You know what they pray for? Boldness. To keep speaking for Christ. It's amazing. And God really liked that prayer because he poured his spirit out upon them. The place shook where they were at. And they continued to speak with boldness. This is a hallmark of speaking for Christ in the book of Acts. And it has been for the, for the church since the beginning. Another example is in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is speaking to a group of men from a particular synagogue. And Acts, Acts 7 is another amazing sermon. It's a longer one than this one. But at the end of the sermon, here's the punchline. I mean, here's where, here's where Stephen lets him have it. I mean, he just, he just says it like it is. He says this, You stiff-necked people... That's not a compliment. Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did so to you, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Well, they didn't like that very much. They weren't cut to the heart. They began gnashing their teeth. Here, bold. Here in Acts chapter two, boldness leads or produces three thousand converts. In Acts chapter seven, when Peter, or excuse me, when Stephen preached, it produced the first martyr. But he preached boldly he was filled with the spirit and it does say he was filled with the spirit in acts chapter 6 and 7 and him being martyred was not insignificant we're going to see that was actually part of god's purpose to drive the church out of jerusalem into samaria into the rest of judea and samaria and then to the ends of the earth I once read about an Anglican clerk who said, when you read through the book of Acts, whenever Paul showed up in a town and began preaching, there was either a revival or a riot, sometimes both. And he says, when I show up in town, we have tea. And he, he was not praising himself. I mean, he said, there, there's, there might, might, might be a difference. There is, certainly. Spirit-empowered witness is courageous. It doesn't mean there's always going to be a riot or a revival. But Spirit-empowered witness is courageous. Finally, Spirit-empowered witness calls for a wholehearted response to Jesus. Jesus. This is why Peter's preaching was so courageous. He wanted to bring his listeners to a moment where it's kind of like, choose the one you're going to serve. Elijah, right? If Baal is God, go and serve him. If God is God, then leave Baal behind for good and serve God. In verse 36, Peter gets to the punchline. I love this phrase. It really it really jumped this phrase jumped out at me and 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 nailed me between the eyes this week. I thought a lot about this passage. It says, "Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ." He is the Messiah who's come to save, and he is the Lord, who's the master and king, and ma- he's the ruler, right? And again, the Jewish people who heard this, when they heard Lord, the Greek word kurios, they thought Adonai. They thought Yahweh in the Old Testament. This is the Lord? And it says, the next phrase, when they heard this, and that word, this, I was like, when they heard this, when they heard that he's both Lord and Christ, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And what did they say? What shall we do, brothers? What does Peter say? Brothers, just give Jesus a tip of the hat. No. No. Join his team as a part-timer when you're available. No. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. You might say, where's believe? Well, repent and believe are like two sides of the same coin. That's the way I see it. If you truly repent, you're turning from sin, you're turning to Christ. If you really believe in Christ, you're turning away from sin and you're turning to Him in faith. Repent and be baptized. Repent means to change your mind. Literally means to change your mind, but it's more than just changing an opinion, it is to do a 180 at the depth of your being. It is a gift of God but you're commanded to do it. Repent. Do a 180 degree turn from your sin. Don't just dislike your sin, like when it kind of piles up after a while, and you're like, man, I don't like that. Turn from it. Hate it and turn from it. And then be baptized to publicly identify and pledge your allegiance to Jesus Christ. Baptism, of course, it symbolizes, right? It, it, we baptize in water. And, and I think here we see that those who responded to, to Peter's message, they, they heard it and they received it. They were baptized. But more importantly than the act of getting wet in water is what baptism represents and symbolizes that that old man is dead. And I am now united to Christ in new life. I am not my own anymore. I am His. It's like saying publicly, right? When you do it in front of a church, it's like saying it publicly. But even in your heart saying publicly, I am with Him now. I'm not with these other people anymore and this kind of life anymore and I'm not my own anymore. I belong to him. Repent and be baptized. There is no more radical response than this. No tip of the hat to Jesus. You know why so many people don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit? I think. It's because they want to give a tip of the hat to Jesus. They want him for fire insurance. They want to go to heaven when they die. They want a little bit of peace now. But they want their sin too. They want their selfishness as well. They want to identify. They want to be their own still. They don't want to give their whole lives to Christ. They want to be in control. If Jesus is Lord in Christ, how could our response be anything other than total? How could it be? I mean, how... How could it be? And I would say, because, hey, listen. <laughs> how do I know in my heart if I if I'm responded to him this way? <clears throat> well, I don't look back to six years ago or 15 years ago or 25 years ago and say, well, at that time, I think I did I ask Jesus in my heart. No, as I wake up today... And Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, In your hearts, set apart Christ the Lord as holy today. Today, right now, every day. <clears throat> and Peter says this, again, we just need to hear this. Peter says those who respond to Christ in this wholehearted way will have all of their sins forgiven and will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, see this, what's going on up here? God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ Repent and believe, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, For this gift is for for you and for your family and for all who are far off, everyone that the Lord would call to Himself. 3,000 people were saved. They were brought to this moment. It doesn't say everyone there was saved. So I assume that some of those who started off mocking may be mocked at the end still. But they were brought to this moment where this Jesus is the Lord and the Christ. Repent and believe. And 3,000 did. That's amazing. That is amazing. Peter's preaching called... For that kind of response. And you might say, all of this, I mean we don't I think Peter's message was a little longer, at least, than these twenty-eight verses, because it says he kept saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So he probably had some other things to say. But in this short period of time, the Spirit was poured out, a crowd gathered because of the phenomena. Peter gets up, he preaches this biblical, clear. Christ-centered, courageous message called for a wholehearted response. And 3,000 people were added that day. It started because the Spirit was poured out. When the Spirit comes upon us, when we are full of the Spirit, we will, like the 120 that were doing it in tongues, and Peter, who did it publicly, We will declare the mighty works of God. We will. Um, We will be moved by, at the men's retreat last weekend, someone said, you know, I was reading Psalm 51 and just really, really thinking about the phrase that says, return to me the joy of your salvation. David prays. When the Spirit, when we are full of the Spirit, we are full. Full of the joy of salvation and we declare the mighty works of God so let me ask you in closing have you responded in this way to Christ it's a matter of life and death for sure eternal life and death have you responded to Christ this way have you have you turned from sin have you said no more doing things my way He is the Christ who takes away my sin, and He is the Lord who gives commands. Have you responded to Him that way? Have you repented of your sins, done a 180-degree turn so that your life is not about you? It's about Him. Have you been baptized? I would say yes in water, but even more importantly than that, have you... And do you identify with Jesus Christ? I am with him now. If not, then I say, I turn it around, what shall you do? Repent and be baptized and pledge your allegiance to Christ. And choose this day whom you're going to serve. Don't waffle in the middle any longer. Have you responded to Christ this way? Do you utterly pledge your allegiance to Christ before family, work, country, and even your own life? Because that's... I go to many texts in the Gospels where Jesus says that's what he calls us to do. And is this your daily posture before the Lord? Not... My will, Jesus, but yours. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. When? Today. Tomorrow. The next day. Next year. And for the rest of your lives. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. And you will receive and continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.